So, David, congratulations. On what? On uh, completing your, your home rental project. I, I know you're excited about that. Oh, yes. I can say I'm one of the few people I know who's done home renovations and actually had them go beautifully and actually had them be completed uh, ahead of schedule. So not only were they completed ahead of schedule, were they included, completed on budget? Uh, let's not talk about budgets. <laughs> <laughs> we're into, we're going to be into some serious money area in the Medicare program today. So it's, there's a lot, there's like budgets. My budget is nothing compared to what we're looking at in the, in the kidney care space. So you, you anticipated the segue perfectly, which is the renovations were taking place. I know you've been incredibly busy working on responses to a number of proposals from the federal government. How do, how do you want to sort of walk through these? Well, there's, there's a couple ways to approach it, but I, I think the thing that our listeners need to remember is that um, when things slow down on the legislative side, and there, there's with divided government, there's going to be slowdown in areas. Um, that's when the regulatory pace picks up, because that's when the people who are in the White House want to make as much change as they can, and this is the area in which they can do it um, on the regulatory side. So that's really what we're seeing. We're seeing them, and we're seeing a lot of things that need to be dealt with. Plus, and we'll be coming back to our listeners uh, soon, we're also, they're also preparing for what happens when the public health emergency ends. But for now, um, we've had explosive growth in Medicare Advantage, and that's also pushing a lot of this activity. Am I remembering correctly that about 45% of the people in the Medicare ESRD program have now joined Medicare Advantage? You, you are remembering correctly. I don't know whether the number splits out specifically by which providers to 40 to 50%, but it's about 45%. But the catch is it's expected during this year to surpass 50%, no problem. So there's been a massive influx. Uh, and you remember, we only started allowing um, incident uh, kidney failure patients in January 1, 2021. So this has happened very fast. So let's start with the, the first uh, response. Well, that, that goes to exactly what we're talking about, because uh, the first one actually deals with technical changes in the Medicare Advantage program. And it may not seem like, you know, these, these, these things sound a little bit like, you know, small uh, around the edges things, but they're not. When you, when you just pointed out, so many people are going into those programs. So one of the things that we have been seeing is we have been seeing, um, we basically have been seeing prior authorization requirements uh, around dialysis and also just kind of other issues around really uh, getting to dialysis through Medicare Advantage. Um, and as you can imagine, ASN members and its leadership, you know, there's nothing about kidney failure that should be requiring prior authorization once you've been diagnosed with kidney failure. Your dialysis, if you don't have a transplant, is mandatory and obligatory in order to stay alive. That's all there is to it. So putting the prior off on some of these things is just kind of a bridge too far in the Medicare program. So that's really that was really the big change on that one, was making sure that um, patients did have access to dialysis and dialysis-related providers. They, they weren't burdened with prior authorization on dialysis. And, you know, that's, that was the real focus of the first one. Um, in, in a few minutes, we'll get back to the fact that they're doing the technical side to that, which has to do with interoperability. But 
if we don't, if you don't mind, I'm going to move on to the second one. That yeah, really before you move to up. the second one, just a really quick question. So, what was the like? If I were sitting um, in Baltimore and, and I'm on Security Avenue and I'm working at CMS, why would I make this proposal? Like, why? I, it just, it just, it sort of begs logic. Well, I mean, you know, sometimes they, when they're sitting in CMS, they have to react to something that's happening that they didn't necessarily anticipate or they didn't think would be at this level of activity. And I think that probably the the, the number of issues arising from this uh, became much larger than they wanted to ignore. So they were trying to get ahead of it because they could see the growth is not going to change. And a prior authorization can can really t- try up people's um, health care. Yeah, and, and just to make a comment, and you don't need to respond, but because I know it's 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 me sort of stating something I believe, which may or may not be true, and I don't have evidence. But I, I also worry that when we use the term end-stage renal disease, people don't realize that that's kidney failure. They think it's it's something different. I, I just I just think we have a real lexicon problem. But don't take the bait. Move to the second one. I I hear you completely. I won't take the bait. Uh, the second one is also something that I think our our, our all of our members uh, have had to deal with and they understand, which is um, the 2728 form, which is required uh, if you're going to go into Dallas's own Medicare. Uh, that form has been done by you know our listeners hundreds of times. And the Medicare decided it wanted to see if it could make some changes, but it did it kind of strangely. Rather than putting out a request for information, uh, which they kind of said this was that it, they already had put together the recommendations for what would be changed, and so you know when ASM looked at this, um, you know within our committees that deal with with these issues, we looked at it and was like, "One, well, there's a lot here that you really have not dealt with," and I mean I think we have the the thought that there needs to be a more significant undertaking evaluating. Um, you know, what should be into that form and what you're trying to collect with that form. Um, and I think the number one cause would be uh, the primary cause of renal failure questions that are on there. Um, and so, you know, our members really did talk about things that things like just nephrotic syndrome with or nephrotic syndrome with something else are somewhat vague and they don't really get to what, you know, uh, you know, what should really be being used in terms of the, the, the way that we're gathering the information and what's being diagnosed. So they, they ordered, they argued for the committees argued for a lot more structure and, and the council agreed with them in terms of the diagnoses, in terms of the laboratory tests that might, um, but also things that were asked about transplants, so to speak, for example, which really has always been just a one box checkoff question. And they were trying to get to what a patient does understand at the time. And I, I think, you know, a lot of, uh, of our members are concerned that, that they may be trying to accomplish too many things with the 2728. And, and they were trying to register how much the patient understood of what was given to them. And of course, that's a very vague thing to try to measure in a form, particularly at a time when an individual is probably feeling quite overwhelmed. Um, they, may, they may have just recently been diagnosed with kidney failure uh, and probably just got out of the hospital. And now, you know, they're going into a system that that's just asking them a ton of questions. And I'm not, you know, there's some real concern that patients may not be in the best possible position to really absorb that information at that time. Um, so there's a lot there. Um, 
both of these letters uh, are fairly technical and you know those are things that uh, if anyone listening wants to contact policy at ASN um, we'd be more than happy to send them copies of these letters um, and and even the next one which I'm going to talk about which is even even bigger um, which has to do with the United States Preventative Services Task Force. Yes before we move to the third issue I guess my it's, it's funny because on this one I can sort of understand why this is a harder one for CMS to get right because there's not a lot of incentive to start with a blank piece of paper, but that's probably the best way to do this and to sort of have an iterative process where you're bringing together experts and starting to really design something. And, and what it sounds like they're trying to do is the proverbial, you know, changing the tire on the moving car, um, which is, is, is hard. And then it just, as you, as they start to flag issues that just everything's more complicated than anyone could anticipate. Um, where do you see this sort of discussion going before we move to the third issue? Well, it kind of goes into the bigger questions of of, of, uh, of the health of medicine because at the at the heart of what's being done with this in, in Medicare form is that CMS is trying to tie the whole classification system um, in with the ICD-10 code nomenclature, and that's really not what a practicing physician uses in their diagnosis as much. Um, and so it just, it's really trying to put things together that don't necessarily fit if you're, you know, if you're on the, on the front practicing. And that's, uh, that's, I think would take a much bigger, uh, coming together of different groups. And that would take a lot, lot more study by, um, Medicare to try to adjust and try to get it, uh, you know, sorted out in a way that I think everyone would be comfortable with it. So let's move to the third one, which is um, former ASN past president um, Sue Quaggan's favorite acronym, acronym USPSTF. United States Preventative Services Task Force, um, which does make the recommendations on screening guidance throughout medicine uh, and throughout healthcare. Um, and after numerous years of asking for them to revisit their 2012 decision not to recommend kidney screening, um, they finally did put it on the list back last year. ASN and NKF in particular, along with others, have really been pushing for this for quite so many years. Um, and they, they did put that back on. They put out a research plan, and um, everyone's very excited that they did that. And the research plan was open for evaluation, and the deadline for that evaluation comments were um, February 15th. And like many other groups, uh, ASN did spend a fair amount of time trying to, to really kind of you know, bore down into what was in the research plan. And I'll, I'll say this, um, like I said, this is another one of those where if, if you contact us, we'd be happy to send you the letter. But I think that probably the number one beginning concern that ASN had was the fact that the scope of evidence review clearly stated that they were not going to be using studies that had selected patients based on either diabetes or hypertension. And that and they were kind of making the assumption that diabetes and hypertension patients all automatically get kidney screening, and our our members just feel like that just in practice is not correct. Some of the numbers show that probably only about ten percent of hypertensive patients get kidney screening, and only thirty five forty percent of diabetes patients uh, get that screening. But that it's really kind of uneven. So that is in its very essence a concern that we have. You know. We've been recently talking about, and you know, Todd, we've been in some meetings talking about even the more, the more narrowly defined, uh, you know, more rare forms of kidney disease, 
and we don't even get to that with this level of, of kind of analysis. So I think the biggest concern that we all had was that the plan was not robust enough, was that it was going to leave us with a situation where we would get kind of the same similar uh, results that we had gotten in 2012. Um, primarily, we really just did not see um, kind of the evidence of the kind of pharmacological and non-pharmacological interventions that have moved so rapidly in the last decade or so. Um, so to really, really, really take a big portion of this evidence to really look at um, SGLT2 inhibitors, um, you know, other uh, non-steroidal uh, antagonists, uh, glucogen-like peptide one receptor ag agonists. Um, it just there's just a lot of that stuff that needs to be incorporated on a very robust level because there's a lot of potential changes that didn't that can be heralded with these medications and these therapies. Um, that really was not, they were not available back in 2012. So what we were trying to do is advocate for something that really, um, you know, is, is kind of of the moment, of the science that really is there now. And the, the fact that you, maybe you don't want it to be all just about diabetic kidney disease or hypertensive, you know, the hypertensive relationship to, to kidney disease. But the truth of the matter is, you, you need to at least have those as a major component because they do lead to the vast majority of kidney disease. Yeah, and I would I would argue that that part of the challenge here is that the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, their approach here is indicative or highlights the fact that there's such little awareness and understanding of kidney diseases in general and kidney failure, and as a result they make understandable assumptions which are just not correct and and then we're in this sort of vicious circle of if there's not screening there's not going to be increased awareness and there's not going to be increased sort of diagnosis and treatment um and so this becomes sort of self-perpetuating if you will so it's a really it's a really interesting situation and and, and while exciting that there's a chance that they may reverse a previous decision you know, it's also hard not to be a little concerned that, that they may have scoped it so narrowly that, that um, you know, this challenge may continue into the future. I think that's exactly right. I think that's our, that our job when we advocate on behalf of kidney diseases and kidney patients with kid, people with kidney diseases um, and our members in, in their service of those patients. Because the fact of the matter is, is that if you do remain in kind of in that area where you you just really don't have a good understanding of what kidney diseases are or, or what they represent. Um, you, it's hard to kind of get that done. I'll say one thing, and I know we're wrapping up our time here, but um, one of the things that, you know, really they don't, they don't do, and we're trying to get them to do this across the field of medicine, across the field of kidney care, which is they also look at harms and, you know, will it harm people to be taking kidney screening? And, you know, we're looking at this going, it's in, we're saying this in, in many parts of Medicare, which is you can't really compare harm if you are going to, unless you can include what the harm is to progression to kidney failure and to dialysis. Um, because you're, you're making an assumption that things will remain good, they will remain relatively healthy. And yes, somebody at, at stage two or three B, three A, excuse me, uh, maybe they will, but, um, there's a lot of people who are slipping through those cracks and ending up, like we said, crashing into dialysis, and that's just 
that's the dynamic that we very much want to change. It's very inequitable how it's spread across, and it's very expensive. So the last word is, I think, for us on, on policy-wise is we have got to fight that at every turn. Yeah, and, and you know, I'd mentioned um, ASM past president um, Sue Quaggan earlier in the, in the um, podcast. If she were here, you know, last year she published an editorial and, and two points that she made. One was um, – you know, not everyone. It's 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 pretty amazing that that the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force is assuming that the level of screening is occurring with with people who are hypertensive and and um, uh, or have diabetes. Because as we both know, um, you know that's not something that happens just in general in terms of the public. But then the other big issue is a point she's made, which um, um, I think it was um, former um, International Society of Nephrology President Adir Levin had made, which is. Shouldn't we be screening for kidney health because this helps increase the pool of people potentially who could be living donors? And, and I do think sort of thinking about it from a kidney health perspective is a really interesting um, approach and may help us as we sort of move forward. I agree. I, I, I agree. And uh, it's, you know, um, we, we, when you look around the globe and particularly at some of the uh, – some of the more successful single payer systems, and I'm not saying that we have to go to a single payer system, but I'm I'm thinking of places like Japan, where you know every year there is a series of batteries of tests that are designed to really evaluate the health of multiple systems within the body, regardless, and, and that's that's part of how they try to keep them manage, you know, the long term progression of diseases and try to keep them limited, um, and really kind of stay more in the preventive phase than we do. Well, David, thanks. Um, it's been a busy beginning to the year. And, you know, just to highlight these these three responses and, and that they are available to anyone who would like to read them, but but one really focused on the nexus between the Medicare ESRD program and Medicare Advantage, the second on potential revisions to the 2728 form, and the third sort of um, responding to the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force and their sort of research agenda related to reconsidering um, screening for kidney diseases. Um, I will give you the last word. Um, the last word is I'm hopeful. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff happening here, and uh, it, there, we're hopeful that we really can impact change, and really we seem to be at an inflection point. So, um, you know, I'm thinking on the positive side. Well, David, thanks. Thank you. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology. All rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare professional if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.